Welcome to the Who Cares Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hedinger. Care matters. You feel better when you know somebody cares about you. And people feel better when they know you care about them. But there is so much more. Mastering caring skills equips you to engage with people around some very heavy subjects when they need care and help the most. And as people respond to you, you will be energized to realize that your care is making a difference. But most of all, when people of faith care effectively, the world is able to experience God's love and care. So we're here with stories and with leaders to talk about grief, trauma, addiction, mental illness, poverty, and more so that we can find the answer to the questions, how can we care better? What can we do to provide the best care? Today I have two guests, Jim and Anthony, and we're just sticking with first names for right now because our podcast today is about PTSD. And this is a very intense interview where Anthony describes why vets kill themselves so often They say, I didn't fit in. I wasn't accepted. And today, Anthony helps us hear why. And his mentor, Jim, is walking alongside Anthony. And we hear how we can provide some real help to our vets. So I think you're going to find it to be a great interview with Anthony and Jim on PTSD and get some really good advice on on how we can support them. But first, before my conversation with Anthony and Jim, I want you to know this podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. For more real-life stories of care, useful resources, important organizations that care for people, go to our website, bestcareministry.com. It's also a great opportunity for you to get connected with the care ministry world, and you can support us financially. And we would appreciate it if you did with a one-time or a recurring gift on the donate page of our website. Please consider supporting us financially so that together we can produce more resources that work to build a culture of care so that people experience God's love. Now, let's listen to my conversation with Anthony and Jim. Anthony and Jim, thanks for being on the podcast. And also thanks to both of you for your service to our country and for the price you paid and continue to pay as you live with the memories and the effects of war. I'm thankful that's a memory I don't have to live with, but I thank you both for what you've done and what you continue to do. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. So there are many different kinds of trauma, and trauma is something we do want to talk about on this podcast because so many people in our population are dealing with trauma sexual trauma, physical trauma, natural trauma through hurricanes, tornadoes, accidental trauma, car accidents, and all that stuff. But military trauma is different than all of them uh, because it's war. And it's, it's a terrible trauma. And such a large portion of our population is, is facing memories of that kind of trauma. Uh, which leads to PTSD. Anthony, can you tell us a little bit about your story or about what is military trauma? 
Well, I think the stigmata behind the whole military trauma is, is, you know, seven or eight fold, you know, as a veteran, you're trained or as a military active personnel, you're trained to perceive a, or, or do a certain number, number of things in your job. All these things are geared around in case we have to go to war. Um, and then I guess the, the degree of difficulty they have, you know, transitioning back to regular life depends on how much you spend, you know, in those different theaters. Okay, so what kind of trauma then did you face, and 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 what are the the kind of traumas that guys are facing in these theaters? I mean, we can imagine, and we see news reports, but I mean, you're you're the guy that's there. When I see some of these news reports, and I I see things starting to move fast, and I hear gunfire, I, I'm hearing it the, the the volume of a TV. But what it must be like to actually be there is beyond my comprehension. Okay, yeah. So every veteran I've talked to has pretty much the same baseline and story as, as every other veteran that's ever been in combat or even non-combat. It's a different situational awareness, a different sense of um, of how they perceive things: noises, sounds, rooms, uh, doorways, entryways. You know, people in the room. Um, these are all things that once you leave the military, don't stop. They, you will always have this heightened sense of uh, situational awareness that the small things that are overlooked by the average American or by average person aren't overlooked by a veteran. We see everything all the time, and it's not a switch that turns off. That can lead to a lot of anxiety, difficult going into public spaces, um, difficult connecting, because that camaraderie and trust you have as a veteran isn't there anymore. You don't have your brother having your back. This is a room full of strangers, exits, windows, and threats. And that's a big source of the inability to transition from military to civilian life is um, you're not prepared for that transition. You're not prepared to stop because once you have those neural pathways built into your brain, unseeing and ascertaining threats on a continuous basis all day long, then you come back and the theater may have changed and it may not be a war zone or whatever it is that you encountered, but it's a completely new world where people are, are a lot more, I guess, for lack of a better word, sloppy, not organized. Um, it, it's a whole different world from military to civilian. There's not structure. Um, your brothers aren't behind you, not beside you. They're not in front of you. You're just a kind of on your own island trying to figure things out and how to get back into this world that has not stopped when you were gone. So imagine going someplace and having a different job and responsibilities, and the world continues without you back home and you come back and you got technology changes you got you know, so, you know social changes political changes all the things have changed while you're doing something that doesn't include those aspects anymore for up to 20 years or more so coming back is a is a huge culture shock for yourself because the country you left isn't the country you come back to and the people you come back to can't understand what you went through correct well, for the most part, and this is no fault of, of them at all in any way, I think you have to serve and understand what camaraderie is, what loss is, what sacrifice is, um, to be able to even sit down and have a conversation and speak the same lingo, understand the same verbiage, understand the same concerns and alerts and fears and, and things you just deal with on a daily basis 
And like I said, those things that you learn how to do in the military don't stop and become a civilian. You still have that skill set. You still have that training. And you're literally broken down to nothing and then rebuilt into what the military needs you to be. Well, that doesn't stop when you just get out. It's just, it's going to be a part of your life for the rest of your life. I think as Jim can ascertain, because you know, he's older than I am and he still has the same situational awareness and mindset of a, of a soldier versus a father or a businessman. It's always the soldier first. Okay. Uh, let me go back and tell you what I've heard and see if I'm getting it correct. You're trained to go into various theaters of war. The military takes you down and rebuilds you into the type of person that's going to be able to succeed in, on that, in that job on that theater. And then when you come home, that is not undone. You're still kind of that way. But the country you come back to has changed. The people you come back to have never been trained that way. So relating to them is different and having them understand you is really almost impossible on that level. How am I doing? That's 100% correct. And the separation that causes, I mean, the friendships you have with people, I mean, eh, I've, I can't tell you how many hundreds of stories I've heard of veterans coming back to their best friends and their families and all, and they keep saying, well, you've changed. Well, you're a different person. Well, of course they are. Man or woman, of course they're going to be different. They've, they've, They've done a job for an extended period of time and we've been retrained to reprocess information in a completely different way than civilians ever will have to. And that's why the, that's why the military exists. So civilians who aren't able to or willing to do that sacrifice have somebody out there who will run toward the screaming, run toward the fire, and, and put that threat down. That's the difference between a civilian and somebody who is born, I think, with the cosmic metal that it takes to become a veteran or to serve this country to, to write that check, you know, up to, you know, and everything in between you're, you know, from zero to your life for somebody who's never known you or seen you. When you come back, your friends and your family members weren't a part of that journey. The brothers you served with were the guys who in your unit were the met the, the people you lost were mourned by that group only. They don't understand what you've seen Don had to do to just simply survive and come home. And that's the thing. And that's the biggest offset is in the mind of a veteran, we're fighting for a home and a country that when we get back, isn't there anymore. Everything's changed. So it's very confusing and you feel very, for lack of a better word, lost, discarded and uh, unappreciated. Well, I, I, Saying I'm sorry sure doesn't seem to be enough, uh, and, and, and it's not, but I do want to say I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry it's that difficult to come back to, or I, I, I'm sad that it is because I appreciate it. I think I've told both you and Jim that in World War II, my dad was uh, one of those guys. He was a, a machine gunner in a B-17, was shot down on his 20th mission over Germany, spent 11 months in a prisoner of war camp. My wife and I have occasionally said we think there was some there was PTSD my dad experienced through that because there were certain parts of his behavior that as wonderful as he was many decades later he still seemed to have a uh, oh a nervousness about certain situations and an intensity 
about certain situations. Uh, he, especially at Christmas time, when we would have family devotions, he would often weep when he prayed for the vets and when he prayed for people that were overseas. He felt it that deeply all those years later. And I have to admit, as a kid, I respected him, but I didn't understand. I, I didn't know what stirred those emotions. You're, you're explaining that really well, Anthony, and I appreciate it. And I'm just sorry for the price that continues to go on in what we casually refer to as PTSD. So when you come back and you're different from the world and the world's different than the one you left, I, I know that causes discomfort. You've explained some of it. I understand the rate of suicide among veterans is really high. Uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm saddened to hear that. What can we do? How can we, how can we people who don't understand do something to support you guys, even if it's awkward and inadequate? Mm-hmm. That's going to be, a, a, I think, a question for a broader audience. But for, for myself and the people I know, um, first, the apologies are, are, are well and good, but we don't want apologies. We chose. We, we, we signed that paper of our own free will. We don't need somebody to apologize for the repercussions from it. What we need to be is understood, accepted, and that's what easily discarded to the streets and everything else. I mean, there's something like four to eight million homeless veterans on the streets as of today. I mean, they've, they've done nothing but serve their country. But because of the experiences that they've had, they're unable to rejoin a society that's not geared to them. And if we want to change that, if we want to change the 22 a day, we want to change you know, whatever it, it, it takes to have these homeless vets off the street, employed, doing something gainfully with their wives because they still want to serve. There's not a veteran I've ever met, high, drunk, wasted, on the street, on his last dime, who still isn't wired to serve. They just want a mission, something to believe in, something to move forward and past the military. And this country has done a piss-poor job of setting that up for any kind of success rate. You, you got pretty much two options. You get out of the military, you can be a police officer, which is an honorable profession. Don't take me wrong. But that's about it. The, the military skills you have, at least for like infantry and combat ratings, don't transition into the, the real world. You know, you're, you're taught to be a killer. You're taught to be a force to be reckoned with. Those skills on you know, flanking enemies and how to suppress a fire and formations don't transition into this life, except for military or private military contracting or things like that are very akin to the military um, tactics and usage. Corporations and businesses, churches, should be actively seeking these individuals out as soon as they get off the off the, off the bus or back home, and gainfully employing them because they have a skill set that you can't train. They take orders, they follow through, they don't give you excuses. They expect rep- reprimand for failure, and they expect medals and congratulations for success. That is an absolute key opponent to our our, our country's workforce. That is absolutely lacking at this point, just due to I know, other things that have been going around in our society. But you have these millions of members who are absolutely trained to the bone to follow orders, to achieve an objective, and to succeed. 
they just need people to understand that when they come back, they're going to see things differently. They're going to react differently. You know, my partner in my life, she always says I go from zero to 100, you know, no warning. You go from zero to 100. Well, veterans don't go from zero to 100. We idle at 80. So it's just going from 80 to 100 because we're so used to that instinct, you know, adrenaline rush, combat, combat, go, 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 on alert, on alert, alert, that your whole physiology changes. My resting heartbeat's 127. That's me sitting down because my physiology has changed because of the exposure to stress and trauma and adrenaline because, I mean, it's serving your country, I think, is one of the most honorable things anybody I – think, I think it should be required in this nation you know, to do a two-year hitch, to understand the sacrifice and understand the freedoms that we have so that, and to give a better understanding to these veterans who come home who – don't have anybody to talk to. And, and when you go to an employer and it's yes, sir, no, sir. And it's like, well, don't call me, sir. Well, it's not a choice. This is a reaction to a question that's automatic. You know, it's not a, it's not a sign of your age. It's not a sign of your anything else other than it's a sign of respect because you're my next person in my chain of command and my new civilian world. And when you're told, don't call me, sir, don't call me, ma'am, don't do this, don't do that, that you've been entrained in and disciplined quickly for if you did not do so in the military is impossible. It's like telling you, it's like trying to tell a goldfish to climb a tree, right? It's just, it's impossible to have a positive um, end to that instruction. You're asking them to do something that they can't physically possibly do because of the training and the neural just changes that have gone on through being through the military. This this starts at boot camp. This is before he, combat veteran non, and non-combat veteran. You both served, and they're both of the same instructions, and they're both wired the same way. Because otherwise, I mean, if you had a, imagine the chaos if there was any different. You know, you're all, you're all wired and trained the exact same way. So if you want to succeed with these vets, you want to help these vets, it's simple. Start getting the mindset of getting ready to get your hands dirty, to change your thinking. Not expect them to change theirs. They've made a sacrifice. They've done extreme things for this nation. They shouldn't be asked to change. We should change to accommodate them because a debt is owed to them and people like them who are made from that fabric that allows them to do what they do for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Expecting them to come back and be just like, you know, John Smith down the street who's who's been working you know, a middle-class job or high middle-class job and expect them to communicate properly or have the same expectations of a goal is impossible because we see things differently. But adapting to that gives you assets that you can't possibly imagine. The loyalty a veteran has for those who support them is next to God. We're, we're as loyal as pit bulls. We will stay with you. We will fight for you. If you show us the same respect and understanding and sacrifice that we've already shown you without you even having to ask for it. So, Anthony, uh, again, you're giving us tons of information, and I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose. It's it's such good and uh, and, and intense, and you're intense. So let me tell you what I'm hearing, and tell me if I'm hearing it right. I, I did pretty good last time, right? Maybe I'll do okay this time. I believe in you. You said no. You said, get ready to get your hands dirty. 
So if we if we really want to want to help people, we can't just be patronizing or tip of the hat. I mean, we 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 need to make some commitment back to the vets instead of just uh, you know being nice or attending a parade. Uh, number two, we need to actually accommodate them instead of asking for them to change to accommodate me. I, I need to say, okay, what is it that this man or this woman needs or this man or woman has this or who this man or woman is based on their experience? And, and I really need to, uh, I think you used this word too a minute ago, I need to validate them as a person and their experience. And, and in that way, uh, I don't apologize to them. I don't even say I'm sorry for your service, but I recognize what they did and I, and I validate that. Uh, and then, then I accept them. And when I accept them, I'm going to get loyalty to the moon and back. I mean, when, when, when a, when a vet knows that you accept them, uh, you accept them as they are with their, uh, their experience and what they've been through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, they, they respond in turn. It, how am I doing? Am I hearing you? That's correct. Um, I, I think a better word for validation is just acceptance and, and putting forth effort to not be discarded so quickly. Like, oh, you went to war, you're crazy. Oh, you're a violent person. Or you're, you're this monster. There's an expression that I'm very fond of, and a lot of veterans are too. I've seen them a lot of them tattooed on their body. Um, it says, um, everybody loves the monster when the enemy's at the gate. Say that again. Everybody loves the monster when the enemy's at the gate. And when there's no longer a threat, the monster's kind of hunted down with pitchforks, like back in the old why you know the old stories you hear as a kid because they no longer they no longer fit in society a peaceful society these men and women who are trained to be monsters because in order to be effective to be a threat to an enemy force you have to be capable of violence and you have to be comfortable with it or you're not coming home and how you win wars to the best of my knowledge how i was taught by my mentors is you make them sacrifice their lives for their country you don't sacrifice your life for yours that's how you win wars. And that's how veterans' mindsets are wired to survive, to do whatever it takes to get your brother home, your sister home, to complete the mission. So it's a different, I mean, it's a different world, but the benefits, as I've mentioned before, are astronomical for this society to welcome these veterans in versus astro, you know, kind of sticking them outside and saying, okay, well, thanks for your duty. Stay away from us now. We don't want to see you, be reminded of you, or, or have any kind of idea of what you've had to sacrifice because it makes me feel uncomfortable or I feel like I have a debt. Nobody wants to feel like they owe somebody anymore. They just want to have it done, swipe right, and move on, right? For veterans, it's, you can't do that. It's, it's a lifestyle for the rest of your life. And that's to be commended, not feared or shunned or judged because those who are doing the judging and the condemning haven't had the well, I guess the best word is moxie <laughs> to sign that contract and step up to the line. And, you know, I guess this is, I'm, I'm of course, you know, I have my own personal feelings. That's because it's my community um, and Jim's community. I, I guess you, anybody who hasn't served doesn't get a freaking opinion. 
on what we should do and what we shouldn't do. If you want an opinion, grab a rifle, stand a post, and see what it's like to live that life. Otherwise, just be grateful for the sacrifices men and women do on a daily basis. And when they come home, make sure it is your duty, your absolute privilege to have these people incorporated into your business and into your church and into your life because there is nobody on earth who is more capable of protecting you, serving you, without being asked, the United States veteran. You just uh, summed it up really beautifully there. And uh, uh, I, I will go back and listen to that comment over and over again, because I think you, you said it really well. Uh, how many veterans are there? Do, do, do either one of you know the, the population of veterans we have in our country today? Last count was uh, no, almost 16 million. 16 million. That's a lot of people. That's that's a that's a large group of people that deserves attention. And the way you said, accept them, find a place for them. I, I have a question I was going to ask you. you. You've answered it in a number of different ways, but let me ask it again. I'm just going to be real specific and ask you to be real specific in your answer. What does a vet want the most? I, I think just, I think for most veterans, when they say thank you for your service, it makes us feel uncomfortable. Because in our mindset, we didn't do anything besides what we agreed to when we before we went to boot camp. We don't. We know the choices we made. It's made very clear to us what the expectation is and what we're going to be doing for, at the very minimum, four years of your life, right? So about the time it takes to get a, um, a bachelor's degree in college, we're serving and doing things that are called upon um, our nation to do, right? Veterans and the guys I've lost, my own friends, um, have committed suicide, all had the same verbiage in their letters, or their emails. Um, I didn't fit in. I wasn't accepted. Um, nobody understands me. And you go from such a high energy, high speed, no, you know, low drag environment where it's go, 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 go. No excuses. Get the job done, or somebody's going to die. You know, do your job. Somebody else, you know, is is in danger. That mindset. If you can take that and multiply it out for years. And then have them drop back in a civilian pool who has no idea what that dedication or commitment is. You can see the mess and the uneasiness of, of, of reconnecting to, once again, a country that's moved on without you. They don't stop. You're, 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 people get married. They break up. They move on. They change cities. They do. Life continues for them while you're stuck, respectively to, to the word stuck, by choice, serving a nation, serving them so they're able to do those things. And when you come back, there's a big gap. You're different than the last person they remember you being, right? You're night and day from when the last time they saw you. Boys become men overnight. Girls become women overnight. Snap a finger. Because you have to. It is the expectation, and there is no room for failure. Or you wouldn't be there doing that job, right? So and I'm sorry for the long answer, but I guess in short, it is to not be so easily discarded cannot be so easily forgotten. You know, to, to have people remember the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. That's not a barbecue. That we either lost men or we're celebrating those who are alive. Right? 
those kind of distinctions need to be made and hammered by every news outlet and person with a voice. Memorial Day is for those who have fallen, the honored fallen of this country, the sacred ground of Arlington. Is covered in white tombstones of heroes. You know, people keep saying there's no heroes in the world. There's no, there's no, there's nobody to look up to anymore. You just need to go to Arlington National Cemetery and take a look, and you'll see an example of what heroes are, what men and women who are drawn to do more than just get an eight to five job, cash a paycheck, and go on vacations. That's what they're agreeing to do. In the end, they're saying, oh, I'm okay with being put in the ground next to my brothers and sisters with another white tombstone next to me. So understanding the differences, making sure that when you see a veteran on Veterans Day at a restaurant, shake his hand and say thank you and mean it. Right? Have a, have a Do some homework. Educate yourself on what it is to be in the military. And then ask yourself, where would I be without these men and women? What would I be called to do, right? Because the war wouldn't be overseas. It wouldn't be in Afghanistan or Iraq or Japan or Germany or any of the war theaters we fought in. It would be here in our streets and in front of our children without veterans. We would see it every day in our blocks and between us. It wouldn't be someplace where you couldn't see it or fathom or you could forget about it, where you could just watch your, you know, disappear into your phone or your job. It would be here in our streets, on our neighborhood blocks. That's where the war would be without vets, without servicemen and women who are willing to say, okay, I'm going to go and make sure that doesn't come to my block, to my city, to my church, to my job, to my friends' homes. That's what people understand. Veterans are a wall that keeps the, the things that go bump in the night from going bump in the night in your backyard. So, Anthony... The, the things that I wrote that I wrote down the, to your answer, be grateful, do not easily discard a person that has done so much. The, they're the main things of, of that once. I, I have another question for you. I may come up with a few more, but I'm thinking one more. And then, Jim, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you guys about your friendship and your relationship. But this sort of gets to that. If there's somebody listening to me who is not a vet, he's a pastor, he's a chaplain, he's, uh, and I don't mean a military chaplain, but a guy like me at a hospital or at a, at a psych hospital, and, and he says, I want to help the vets, and I, I am willing to take on uh, a friendship with a guy like Anthony, What's, what should he sign up for? What this came up a little bit in our phone conversation that you and I had about a month ago. Uh, and a lot of it has stuck in my mind. I don't know if you remember it. Uh, I do remember you saying something like this. I'll prime the pump for your answer. It's not a short one or two month stint as a mentor. It may be a lifetime of walking alongside a person, be willing to, to step into a life and walk alongside that life. So again, my question is, if someone in a ministry says, I want to support veterans, I, want, I am willing to be a mentor, or I am willing, not maybe I'm not worthy to be a mentor, I'm willing to be a friend, a listening ear to a 
veteran, what should we be willing to do? Is that for me or Jim? That's for you. And okay. then, and then Jim, as he wraps that up, I'll, I'll, I want to get into, tell me a little bit about your friendship. How have you kind of been that kind of a guy to Anthony? And Anthony, what has Jim meant to you? So they're the next couple of questions as we sort of head in a new direction of, of what can we do, uh, what action steps can we actually take? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to touch on what Jim's done to me first because I, mean, I think that's such a preface for the next question. Sure. Um, that's great. I mean, I, I met Jim through a, a woman I was seeing. Um, her son was seeing his daughter. So they, um, the woman I was seeing... First time was dating Jim's daughter at the time. That's how me and Jim met. Um, we didn't, we, uh, I didn't see Jim a lot or, or often at, at all. Um, just because of my work schedule and Jim's work schedule, both very busy men who work six days a week. And that's just kind of something else a veteran does. We just work. We like working. Um, but there wasn't, it could go, it, it could be a week, a month, three months, four months. If I needed somebody to talk to, Jim was there. He would, if it didn't matter if it was, if I was on fire being chased by grizzly bears, he was coming there with an ax and a fire extinguisher. That's the commitment we have to each other as, as brothers. And I've done, I think I've done the same for Jim. You know, if, if, if he's under stress and I can see changes in his mentality or his verbiage, I might, the hairs of my neck start starting up. All right. Okay. My brother's in danger. All right. What's, what's going on with Jim? Right. What do I need to do? When I blow him up, I'll call him six and he can use phone records. I'll call him three, four, five, six, seven times in a row. Text him, say, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Where are you at? I'm driving to your house, right? That's the commitment we have to one another. And it's unbreakable. I don't care what's going on in this world. If there's a veteran in distress and another veteran that even gets wind of it, get ready for hell because we're going to bring it to make sure that our brothers and sisters are protected. Um. And I get goosebumps when I when I think about, you know, the impact Jim's had in my life as a Christian brother, his mentorship, his kind words. Jim was about as, as constant and mellow as the ocean tide. You can set a clock to it. And the man's he's, he's just a big bear, right? He's capable of defending himself. He's capable of defending his family. But he has that soft understanding side of it because, one, he's a vet, and, two, his faith gives him a very unique combination of being a great sounding pole, support in the storm. That's who Jim Gilbert is. For veterans and people in his life who are non-veterans, that man is a port in the storm. And um, for your listeners, I mean, these are the kind of people you want to seek out in your life because it doesn't matter what Jim's doing. It doesn't matter how, much, how many things he's got going on. He's going to make room for you in his, in, his, in, his, in his port to make sure you get sheltered in a storm. I think that's part of veteran, part of who the man he is, and part of it, you know, um, largely due to his faith He'll get taken down to his last penny, his last ounce of strength, his last wink of sleep to ensure that those he loves and values and respects are protected. And that's why I trust Jim. I'll tell Jim things I never told anybody else. I'll tell Jim things and confide in him with struggles in relationships, struggles in my job, struggles in my communication, struggles in my thinking. And he can pick it up before I even say it. I can see him the way he looks at me or he touches me on the phone. He's like, hey, what's up? You know, it's like, it's that... Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. What are you doing? Right? I'm right here. It's the understanding and the verbiage. That's, that's the, the words that aren't said, I think, for vets is just as much as the words that are said. Uh, and it all boils down to that trust. But Jim Gilbert, 
Ladies and gentlemen, whoever hears this podcast, pastors, vets, seek out people who don't ask for anything in return, who are just there to honor you because of what you've done, who will sacrifice for you, who don't make you feel like you're a burden in their lives. And for veterans, that's very important. And that leads to your next question, Dan, about what it's going to take for a pastor or a care pastor to have vets in the community. You have to be willing to sacrifice, as they have, for years for you without knowing you, to earn their respect. You know, veterans are, and one of my buddies brought this analogy up to me, and it made me chuckle, you know, and forgive the analogy because some people may, may, may misunderstand this, but we're like dogs who have been beat on, right, and kicked their whole lives. And all we want to do is be petted and accepted and loved. But when you reach your hand down to first pet us, we start snarling because we're used to getting kicked. We're used to being betrayed. We're used to being left in the cold. But all we want to our in our soul and our bones is to be accepted and serve you, right? If you can get past the snarls and the 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 barks and the growls that are just self-preservation, you will find inside that person somebody who will be loyal to you to your last breath, somebody who will walk by you through your wars, through your own you know struggles, through your own PTSDs, through your own things in life. And that's who Jim Gilbert is. He's a man who, once you've earned his trust and once he knows, you know, who you are and as as am I, will walk by your side. But first, you got to get past the snarls. You got to get past the growls because we've been so discarded and used by so many for so many years. It is hard to accept that somebody wants to help us just to help us. Not, no strings attached, you know, no, no other expectations, no quick pro quo. I want to help you because of the sacrifice you've done for this nation. You've done enough, right? I've got your six now. That's what vets want to hear, I think. And that's that's from myself, from my conversation with Jim, my conversation with hundreds, if not thousands of other vets. We just want somebody to be like, you know what? You've done enough. Let's take what you know. Let's conform it to this world, help you get caught up, help you get up to speed. And let me, let me, let me be your navigator. Let me be your guide on transitioning back and forth. And let me learn from you. Let me understand why you see things the way you see them, right? Why you do things the way you do them. Why you can't sit with your back to an open door. Why sitting in a church congregation? My, when I'm at church to this day, and this is many, many moons, okay, since I've been in the military, my leg is tapping 100 miles an hour. Because I got 60 people behind me or more I can't see. I can feel in the back of my neck moving. I can hear them. And I'm listening to the sermon. I'm listening to the worship songs, and I can hear it. And when we bow our heads and somebody shuffles, my head snaps up because I hear something moving. Not by choice, not by anything else. I don't want to listen to the pastor saying or interrupt my prayer. It is a instinctive reaction to an unknown essence in my immediate surroundings. And our, and as a veteran, I think anybody, and and maybe I'm wrong here, but this is my personal opinion, we're always ready to fight. Roles are to defend, you know, even those we don't know. So there's a lot of things that care pastors have to be aware of. Well, I'm learning a lot by listening to you today. One overarching theme I'm learning that I'm going to have to process a little bit, but it's the, the level of commitment that it takes. And I think that level of commitment is what we need to have for everybody. And we, we live in a world where we are sloppy and our level of commitment is lower, but Jim's level of commitment to you was high. Jim's level of commitment to me has been high. 
I, I've told Jim and what I'm working on, I would not be where I am if it weren't for Jim Gilbert. And some of the stuff I have done has taken years to get done and what probably would have taken him a couple of weeks. And he was patient and he stayed there with me. So, Jim, we both appreciate and salute you. But you talk for just a minute. We, we need to wrap up here pretty quick. But you talk for just a minute about what it's like to be a friend to Anthony and uh, and and how how were you moved to do that? Well, it's... Uh... It's exactly what Anthony's done a great job today uh, describing things since, uh, you know, it's, you could, you could meet a guy anywhere or a gal anywhere, any, anyhow, and you know what they've gone through. Then you understand what's expected of um, your, um, cause you got, you got to, got to come together and all, all things when you're in the military. Cause you know, I don't want to be brothers or sisters, but I, I do, I did when I left the military. And so I, 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 I have nobody like that. So I, you know, Anthony could be a brother to me easily, easily. Right. Cause I know what he went through. I know what I went through. And so it's an instant, instant bond, right. Because we come from the same, same school of thought, same, the same mindset, you know, years and years of training of this is what you do. You got to stand behind your brothers and sisters, no matter what they're first, you know, of course the mission's first, but they're, they're, they're probably a close second, you know, no matter what, you you never let let them hang, right? So you <laughs> we could use some we could use some bad words, but you never want to be uh, you never never want to let somebody down. You never want to let somebody down. You always want to try to do your best, and I think that's that's what we do. Because you know, Anthony and I have have gone through. You know, my daughter no longer dates his girlfriend's son, right? And it was kind of a bad breakup, but we're still friends today. No matter what happens, you know, we, we could be friends for life. Right. And uh, I'd, I'd help him because, you know, I have a passion for people with PTSD and, you know, just like my wife's my wife's uh, father. Right. A couple of tours in Nam is a tunnel rat, you know, and killed 38 people. So those, those people need I, I liked your I liked your thing there, Anthony, about the dog just want to get petted. Right. So just, you know, show a little bit of love, a little bit of compassion. You know, I, I, I just, I'll, I'll give you something. I just realized for the first time in my life by having this discussion, I mean, kind of uncorked it. So when I left, when I left to go to boot camp and I lived in Germany and during the Gulf War days, um, I was pretty close, close with my family, my cousins and my aunts and that kind of stuff. When I came back, they had a lifetime of memories and experiences that I, I wasn't a part of. And I'm, I'm still really not a part of, I try to include myself. I kind of beg them to be part of like, Hey, aunt so-and-so can we go to lunch? And they've kind of, they've kind of moved on or they kind of moved on without me. And when I came back, there was nobody to say, Hey, we love you, Jim. <laughs> we love you, man. And I, I, I guess I just realized that for the first time in my life that I, I think Anthony's right. You just want to be accepted and, and let let please bring me back into the fold. I, cause I went away for a while. I sacrificed for you and all 360 or 70 million people in this country. And I think, I think if uh, somebody were to use a Christ first focused, I think, you know, Christ commands that we love others as, as ourselves. And so if you really love somebody, you'll do what you what you have to do for them. Right. And, you know, I think that that's where if, if people would, would make a little bit of commitment, make it a, a life's purpose, it really would help veterans. Right. And, you know, and I, I guess I realized that Anthony, I, I, 
you know, I've got 50 people here that I, I rarely see because I see them occasionally, but they, they've moved on for me. Right. Yeah. And I guess I just realized that and that's just too bad, but you know, so what, what do you have left, Anthony? We have you and I, right. right. So we, we have the common bond. You, you could be from, you could be from whatever state and it doesn't make a difference because it's the new brotherhood and sisterhood. Right. And that's, that, that's where it is. And you know, Dan, you know, you, what, what, go, go ahead, Anthony, go ahead. No, just, just echoing that. Um, you guys are both familiar with the expression blood is thicker than water. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The actual, the, the actual entire phrase is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And what that means is that the blood of the covenant, that the blood of the combined agreement, that, that solidarity and camaraderie that, that veterans have with each other and other professions have with each other, that covenant of serving or faith or whatever is stronger than the water of the womb, <clears throat> which means it's stronger than the connections you have to your own flesh and blood. Right. A soldier's a soldier's biggest strength is the men and women beside him. The covenant. Thus his new family. Because that's what he's had that's part of the sacrifice. As Jim said, life goes on without you. Your new family is those who signed the same contract and made the same sacrifice. Um and that's your new covenant. That's your new loyalty structure. And that there's veterans, uh, I know, saying the vets say to each other, our oath never expires to each other. Now, I will have my brother's back. I will be my brother's keeper. The same for our, our, our female brethren. I will always be here as your keeper because the connection and bond we have comes from an extreme environment in which we said, okay, you can have my life. You can't have my families. You can't have my friends. You can't have my neighbors. And that's what a veteran is. It's just saying that I'm going to say no. And that bond you create from other people who are like-minded and like beliefs on top of the training creates that meant that veteran mindset that never stops. And if you want, you want people in your life that are going to stay in your life, who are going to be loyal to you. You hear so many people on, on, on the news. I'm so alone. I'm so lost. I'm so this. There are, like I said, 16 million to 18 million people in this world who will accept you, take you and defend you just by asking meeting them for the first three seconds. And if people understand that resource that we have in this nation, and the church understand that resource that we have in the church community, a lot of these things that we're experiencing are going to end because the veterans are going to stop at themselves. Guys, uh, I have been given so much to think about today. And as the host of a podcast, you would think I would have all the answers figured out before we got into the podcast. I've had a lot of questions raised in my own mind, and I've been challenged today. I, I think this may be the best way to close today's conversation. Is John fifteen thirteen? Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down one's life for one's friends. Uh, and that's that's straight out of the scripture. And then in 1 John 3, 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And Anthony, you, you have put into words uh, some things today that some of us have not thought about that deeply, and I appreciate and I don't have all the answers and the applications to this today, but the one thing I take away from is the need for an intensity of commitment to other people. And the veterans may set the bar for that intensity for us. 
And if we would raise our intensity level to relate well to vets, we might just relate better to each other. We may make more of an impact on our world. So I thank you for sharing that with us. Jesus challenges us to that intense commitment. You went right along with it too. So guys, Jim, thank you for your part in my life. Thank you for being on my board. Uh, Thank you for helping me with my business plan. Anthony, thank you for being here with us today. This isn't as patronizing as it might sound, but I do thank you for your service. I do thank you for your service. I do thank you for uh, for living the life you're living, and uh, and I hope uh, you and Jim have a long friendship that's mutually beneficial, and that you experience great success in your life. Guys, thank you. Thank you, Anthony and Jim. Uh, Jim, appreciate you mentoring Anthony and being there for him. And Anthony, wow, you raised the bar for me today. Uh, the intensity of your answers and and how you raised the bar for me and and I hope for all of our listeners is you showed the intensity of care. We talk about care ministry, but to really have someone's back and and be willing to lay down your life, uh, the only way I could even sum it up is with that great scripture verse in John chapter 15 verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And man, that's the ultimate expression of care. And so if we really want to learn to care for each other, we've got to up the intensity. And you did that for us today. You raised the bar, Anthony. Thank you so much. Well, there are some other people that I need to thank and give credit to so that we could bring you this podcast today. Zach Harder wrote and performed the opening music. And Jim Hedinger wrote and performed the closing music. Jim's song is in the midst of the storm. And his music is calming and comforting. And you can find more of his music on Spotify or Apple and also on homebydark.com. At the end of this podcast, there will be two minutes of Jim's music for you to pause and think about what you just heard and to do a little bit of self-care. Thank you to Andrew Hedinger for producing and editing this podcast. You helped me do a better job. I appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Best Care Ministry. Please help us grow by subscribing to this podcast, sharing this podcast with colleagues, family members, and friends, giving us a high rating, and visit our website at bestcareministry.com. There you'll find a lot more real-life care stories, resources, and organizations that provide specialized care. Best Care Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Please consider making a donation so that we can reach more people, produce and offer more resources, and help people thrive in their care ministry. Why? So that more people feel God's love. Thank you for listening. And now take two minutes for self-care. Be still, be quiet, and listen to and see what you hear.